Welcome aboard once again to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg. Check us out online at countervortex.org. Opening up with some sounds today of Julian Kitasti, who is a master of the Bandora, the Ukrainian lute, and lives right here in my neighborhood in the East Village. So uh, shout out to you, Julian. And I hope it's cool that we're using your music. That song was actually called Echo of the Steps. And that is certainly a uh, title, which is certainly extremely evocative of Ukraine. And we're going to start off speaking on this podcast about a uh, situation, very grim situation in uh, 
the Crimean Peninsula, which I'm sorry to disillusion many of you, but under international law remains a part of Ukraine, despite its illegal annexation by Russia following a, uh, a Moscow-instrumented local coup d'etat in the peninsula back in 2014 after um, the Maidan revolution in which Ukraine broke free from Russia's imperial orbit. And the uh, situation in the Crimean Peninsula, since its illegal annexation by Russia, has been extremely grim, in particular, for the indigenous people of the peninsula, the Crimean Tartars, who are a Turkic and Muslim people, who were there before the Russians arrived, low many centuries ago. And one of the things which uh, Russia has done since annexing the peninsula is that uh, they have suspended the local territorial autonomy that the Crimean people had. They actually, under Ukrainian rule, they actually had their own local autonomous government. They had their own parliament called the Majlis, and they could govern their own affairs within a um, a system of limited autonomy, somewhat akin, this will be an analogy we're going to be making tonight, to the situation of of the uh, Native Americans in the North American continent, being able to govern their own affairs under tribal councils on reservations, at least. So... um, That has all been suspended since Russia took over the peninsula. And the human rights situation facing the Crimean Tatars has become more and more dire. There was recently a a very grim news story um, about a woman by the name of Vedzi Kashka, an 83-year-old woman who was um, really kind of a... um, uh, a grandmother figure for the Crimean national movement. She was actually a survivor of the Crimean Tartar people of their forced relocation by Joseph Stalin during the Second World War in 1944 from their um, ancestral homeland in the Crimean Peninsula into um, far distant Central Asia. The same kind of forced relocation which, of course, we know Native American peoples have been repeatedly subject to under, uh, you know, um, programs such as the uh, atrocities which were carried out, uh, such as the Trail of Tears and the Long March and so on, where entire peoples were relocated from their ancestral territories in the United States. Well, just like Andrew Jackson and Kit Carson were responsible for those atrocities, Here in the United States, Joseph Stalin was responsible for essentially doing the same thing to the Crimean people. They were allowed to return, finally under Khrushchev, after the war, they were allowed to return to the the Crimean Peninsula. And um, Vedzi Kashka emerged even back then, way back in Khrushchev days, when things opened up at least a little bit. So a, a certain amount of dissent was tolerated, which it had not been under Stalin, of course. She became a, um, a leader of the um, Crimean Tartar national movement, demanding rights for uh, local autonomy and cultural survival, linguistic survival, and so on, of the, um, of the Tartar people. She continued to advocate, even 
as an octogenarian. She continued to advocate for the rights of her people as they have once again come under Russian rule due to the illegal occupation and illegal annexation of the Crimean Peninsula over the past four years. And again, the suspension of their um, territorial autonomy under the rule of Vladimir Putin. And she um, was apparently killed or at least died at the hands of the police while in police custody during a um, a series of raids which were carried out last November of um, Crimean Tartars. Their homes were being searched by the security forces, including the FSB, which is the successor agency to the old KGB. Um, Several um, Tartar leaders, including... Vedzi Kashka, 83 years old, was um, forcibly detained as her house was roughly searched by intelligence agents. And uh, apparently, uh, the, according to the initial reports from the authorities, she suffered cardiac arrest. Uh, later on, uh, her family, her survivors, hired a lawyer who actually was able to get the authorities to divulge the autopsy results, and it turned out that she had suffered broken ribs. So the circumstances of, um, of her death remain mysterious, and there was just uh, recently a flurry of news reports about um, human rights groups in Ukraine who are um, demanding that the Russian authorities divulge more information about, um, about the death of Vedzi Kashka. I also want to point out the uh, case of Ilmi Yumarov, who was one of the leaders of the Crimean Tartar Majlis, who in uh, 2016 was sentenced to two years in prison on bogus charges of separatism, which basically means opposing the illegal unilateral Russian annexation of the Crimean Peninsula and demanding the restoration of the autonomous powers of the Tartar Majlis in uh, what human rights groups called a um, Soviet-style show trial, sentenced to two years in, um, in 2016. So hopefully he's going to be released soon, although I haven't heard that he actually has been. And I'm bringing all of this up to um, once again illustrate the point that I've been trying to make about um, how a divide and rule scam is the very nature, the very essence of the international state system. And I'm making the analogy here to the Native Americans here in our own continent. There was also just this month some welcome news from the whole struggle over the Dakota Access Pipeline, which has been resisted by the um, Standing Rock Sioux out in North Dakota. Basically, it's been a, uh, a very grim situation after the heroic stand that the Standing Rock Sioux and their environmentalist allies took in the, um, in the fall of 2016, where they actually succeeded in um, getting the pipeline suspended after protesting out in the plains of North Dakota in the bitter cold and standing up to police repression for weeks. Finally, they won a victory. They got the, uh, the pipeline suspended. Of course, this was immediately reversed as soon as Trump took power. And in fact, the pipeline is now opened 
which is a real terrible setback. But uh, there was some good news reported this month, well, actually last month now, because uh, now it's September, September as I'm talking, but uh, in um, late August, Chase Iron Eyes, who was one of the leaders of the Standing Rock Sioux, who had been facing a prison sentence over um, a bust which he took during the, the protest back in 2016 over the Dakota Access Pipeline, was um, able to work out a plea agreement where he is going to avoid prison time, fortunately. Uh, he's going to uh, have the felony charges against him dropped and be able to avoid actually doing time. So this is a very good thing. Uh, some of the other Lakota leaders who were arrested during the whole struggle over the Dakota Access Pipeline back in 2016, unfortunately, have not been so lucky. Just um, two months ago, in July of this year, Red Fawn Falls, a member of the Oglala Sioux people, uh, also a part of the greater Lakota nation, uh, was sentenced to four years for um, apparently resisting arrest during the protests. So, um, and what's got me particularly um, consternated when I think about, you know, the clear analogies here between Putin's treatment of the Crimean Tartars, the abrogation of their autonomy, the persecution of their leaders, and Trump and the North American systems treatment of the Lakota people, the violation of their territorial rights through construction of the Dakota Access Pipeline and the despoilation of their lands and their resources and the persecution of their leaders. What gets me um, really frustrated is that if you want good information about the um, persecution of the Crimean Tartars, one of the sources which has covered it most aggressively, of course, is Radio Free Europe, which is essentially the media arm of the United States State Department, which is, you know, they've actually been doing good informative reportage about the, um, about the situation faced by the Crimean Tartars. But, of course, they're doing it for their own agenda. And, of course, they haven't done any reportage, <laughs> at least none that I've seen. I doubt they've done very much reportage at all about the, uh, well, I mean, they are Radio Free Europe, but none of the um, State Department's media arms, we can imagine, have done any reportage about the Dakota Access Pipeline. And uh, just as Amnesty International has accused Russia of systemic persecution of the Crimean Tartars. The United Nations Special Rapporteur on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, Victoria Tauli Corpus, has also protested the criminalization of Indigenous Peoples in the United States, especially with regard to the whole struggle against the Dakota Access Pipeline, and actually called for the United States to formulate an indigenous land policy which recognizes the um, autochthonous rights of the Lakota and other indigenous peoples of this continent. So um, to me, the analogy is very clear. 
But, you know, of course, Radio Free Europe was just sort of exploiting the Crimean Tartar struggle for their own propagandistic purposes. And similarly, and this is the part which really pains me, is that RT, Russia Today, which is the direct media arm of the Kremlin, an organ of state propaganda, did a lot of very aggressive reportage about the struggle against the Dakota Access Pipeline. And a lot of my friends on Facebook have been sharing videos from RT about the, uh, the whole struggle of the Standing Rock and their allies against the Standing Rock Sioux and their allies against the Dakota Access Pipeline. As if, you know, RT was some uh, wonderful voice of alternative media, which is standing up for indigenous peoples and against uh, the corporate despoilation of their lands. And we can imagine, of course, that similarly, you know, RT hasn't had anything to say about the um, struggle of the Crimean Tartars unless it is to, to bait the Crimean Tartars as terrorists and separatists and so on. So um, extremely frustrating to see indigenous peoples and their struggles being, um, you know, exploited by state propaganda in the great game, which is played by the superpowers, and even more frustrating still to see, to see people who, you know, basically have their hearts in the right place and actually, you know, do support the rights of indigenous peoples um, getting caught up in this sinister game um, and, you know, sharing propaganda on Facebook as if, you know, RT were some kind of legitimate source or even, <laughs> or, or even, you know, some kind of like actual, you know, alternative media, when in fact it's an arm of state propaganda of a, uh, a government which is itself oppressing indigenous peoples and despoiling their lands and so on. I want to point out another couple of cases from Russia, which are lesser known, but even more of a direct analogy to the Standing Rock Sioux. There's a case that I was following a few years ago about the, um, the Evenk indigenous people way, way out in the Yakushia Republic of Siberia in the far east of Russia who are traditional reindeer herders. And they were um, similarly protesting a pipeline which was going to be built through their lands. Just as a consortium, including Phillips 66 and Energy Transfer Partners, was building the Dakota Access Pipeline, the uh, Russian hydrocarbons giant Gazprom was building the Chayandinskoye Khabarovsk Pipeline through the traditional reindeer herding territory of the Evenk people out there in the Yakushia Republic of Siberia. And um, the, uh, you know, the Evenk similarly launched a, um, a protest movement. But, you know, extreme, if you think North Dakota is isolated, we can imagine that Yakushia is even more isolated. And unfortunately, this got um, very little coverage from the outside world. And I believe that ultimately that pipeline was built 
just as the Dakota Access Pipeline was uh, built in abrogation of the territorial rights of the Standing Rock Sioux under Trump, the Chayan Dinskoye Kabaravsk Pipeline was built in abrogation of the territorial rights of the Evenk under Putin. There was a, a similar case. I believe this one perhaps um, has not yet been built, not yet been completed. But um, similarly, I covered a couple of years ago. Very difficult to get information about this kind of thing. But um, I do the best that I can blogging about this kind of stuff every day on countervortex.org. The um, Talengit people in um, the Altai region, again, in the far distant reaches of Siberia, were um, raising a voice of protest against the uh, construction of uh, an international pipeline, which was actually going to bring, bring hydrocarbon, Russian hydrocarbons to China, which was going to be built through their territory, which also happens to be a UNESCO World Heritage Site, the Golden Mountains of Altai. And um, I believe in that case, you know, the axe has not yet fallen. I believe they've actually been been able to fend that off, not because, you know, the Telengit people themselves have got very much clout, as you might imagine. Again, a, um, a, an extremely remote indigenous people of Siberia with their, you know, ancient shamanic culture still intact, but uh, because um, the pipeline would have gone through a UNESCO World Heritage Area and because it was an international pipeline, and I believe there's been some diplomatic tensions between Russia and China over the border and so on, I believe that one has been held off. Um, if anybody out there has got an update for me, please be in touch. You can reach me through countervortex.org. But um, again, a, um, a clear analogy to the struggle of the Standing, the Standing Rock Sioux out in North Dakota. And there are other such struggles which are brewing here in North America. There are, uh, just this past summer, there have been um, lots of protest actions and blockades in British Columbia, where the Slil Waututh indigenous people, if I am pronouncing their name correctly, please forgive me if I am not, I'm doing my best here. Uh, and again, their environmentalist allies have been um, resisting plans to build the Trans Mountain Pipeline, which would uh, deliver shale oil over the, over the Cascade Mountains to the British Columbia coast. Uh, the uh, company Kinder Morgan has been attempting to develop this project and has been meeting with lots of opposition. And uh, I understand recently, just uh, in the past week, as a matter of fact, there was a, um, a reversal for um, the Trans Mountain Pipeline in the Canadian courts. So maybe we actually um, can uh, you know, hold out the hope that, um, that this project is not going to be built but uh, certainly going to be one to watch. Similarly, hasn't been making nearly enough headlines, but the Red Lake Band Ojibwe people in Minnesota have been um, protesting the Line 3 pipeline, which the Canadian company Endbridge is um, attempting to build through their lands. So, uh, you know, <clears throat> I'll believe that uh, there's actually some hope for meaningful international resistance against the industrial leviathan, which is shredding the basic life support systems for planet Earth. 
when there is active solidarity emerging between the Lakota, between the Standing Rock Sioux and the Oglala Sioux and the Crimean Tartars and the Evenks and the Talengit people of Altai and the Tlil Waututh and the Ojibwe. And they see themselves as in solidarity with each other and opposed to both of the industrial leviathans, which are represented respectively by Trump and by Vladimir Putin, which are both seizing resources, despoiling indigenous lands in the name of corporate profits, whether it's the corporate profits of Endbridge and Philip 66, or it's the corporate profits of Gazprom. But, uh, you know, I hate to say it, as long as uh, my Facebook friends who care about the struggle of the Standing Rock Sioux are sharing videos from RT, and just as, you know, we can assume that lots of, uh, you know, Crimean Tartars are very grateful to the coverage that they are getting from Radio Free Europe, then we've got problems. And this is a case study in what I call the divide and rule stratagem, which is the very essence of the state system, the international state system. Dissidents and opponents and persecuted peoples in Russia look to America as their friend, just as dissidents and opposition figures and persecuted indigenous peoples in America look to Russia as their friend. And Putin and Trump instate their fascist world order with the opposition to their design totally divided. This is the dystopian situation which we have to fight against. And unfortunately, I am seeing more and more of, uh, you know, the, the toxic propaganda of... Um, of RT and Sputnik and the other elements of um, the Kremlin propaganda machine uh, being spewed by people who, uh, you know, have been our heroes here, you know, uh, on the American left and in, uh, you know, um, alternative cultural milieu here, here in North America. And, and, and for that matter, uh, Great Britain, one particular uh, figure who I need to call out is, um, Roger Waters, the uh, the brains behind Pink Floyd, their bassist back in the day, and and their their key songwriter, uh, and uh, certainly the most um, politically conscious figure in that band, who um, you know won a lot of applause. You know, nobody was happier than me to see that video that he produced of his um, his song "Pigs," where he was um, you know blatantly poking fun at Donald Trump. And essentially, you know, calling Donald Trump a pig, which my only problem with it is that it's kind of an insult to pigs, which are, you know, kind of inoffensive creatures, really. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, I was certainly happy to uh, to see that video that was going around um, of, you know, Roger Waters performing um, the song Pigs from the album Animals in the Zocalo, the big central plaza in Mexico City where uh, he actually said, this is my favorite line in the whole thing, Trump eres un pendejo, Trump you're a pendejo, which is essentially, 
um, the uh, Mexican insult, which would be the equivalent of asshole. I'm not actually on the radio, right? I'm just podcasting. So I assume I can say the word asshole, <laughs> although it literally means pubic hair. Nobody was happier than me to see that. Uh, so similarly, you know, I was absolutely devastated when I heard um, Roger Waters telling a reporter that, um, you know, that um, Russia's annexation of the Crimean Peninsula was legal and legitimate. And similarly, you know, dissing the White Helmets and the Syrian opposition as, um, as terrorists. I mean, this is absolutely an unforgivable betrayal as far as I'm concerned. And I don't care how good he is on, uh, you know, on, on dissing Trump. He just completely blows all of his moral credibility if he lines up behind Putin and Bashar Assad. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, Roger Waters, you've become another brick in the wall. And, you know, back on that great album, back when in, I believe it was released in 1979, uh, you know, he was warning about um, the advent of, um, of fascism in Europe and the West in that great song, Waiting for the Worms. Well, as far as I'm concerned, Roger Waters, you've become a worm. Are you happy now? You've become exactly what you warned against. So, uh, you know, I'm sorry. It really breaks my heart. So um, this is exactly what I'm talking about when I talk about the divide and rule scam, which is the essence of the, uh, of the state system and how uh, even people who, uh, you know, see themselves as progressives and, and leftists and, and whatnot are getting caught up in it and are being manipulated. So, uh, you know, we have to get past the geopolitics. We have to get past the propaganda game which is being played by the great powers and get back to principle. The principle, first and foremost, given the issues that I've been discussing in this podcast, the issue of indigenous cultural survival, of indigenous land rights, and the, uh, the principle of biosphere survival, of survival of the planetary biosphere in some state of basic health and soundness, which is going to be able to support human life in the seven generations to come. Otherwise, we are quite literally looking at the risk of the extinction of the human race. And this is, you know, obviously the most pressing, the most urgent, the most fundamental thing that we have to be grappling with and not getting caught up in the, you know, the propaganda game, which is being played out by, uh, by governments and superpowers. Because, you know, these are issues, indigenous cultural survival and the, you know, related, intimately related principle of biosphere survival, because whether it is the Lakota or it's the Evenks, it is indigenous peoples who are the guardians of the last stretches of natural land which are left on the planet very often, which the resource industries are trying to grab. You know, these are principles and, the, and these are questions which pay no heed to international borders. It's one planet. It's one biosphere. These are questions which pay no heed to international borders and no heed to superpower influence spheres. And if we are being pitted against each other, if indigenous peoples in North America and indigenous peoples in the Crimean Peninsula and Siberia 
and you know those of us environmentalists and activists who support indigenous peoples in North America and the uh, dissidents and environmentalists in Russia who similarly support indigenous peoples in Siberia, if we are being pitted against each other in the great power propaganda game, that's bad on us. That's, that's our bad, so to speak, you know? And that's what we have to struggle to get over. So once again, I want to see solidarity between the Lakota and the Crimean Tartars. When that happens, I'll know that we're making some progress in this world. So uh, I hope I've inspired some people to think a little bit tonight. Whether you agree with me or you disagree with me, please weigh in, be in touch. Everything that I've spoken about is all documented at countervortex.org. Go to countervortex.org, navigate around, poke around, use the search engine about any of um, the issues which I've discussed tonight. All the information is there. And um, if you feel that I've been uh, stretching the truth or off base about anything, be in touch. I'd be very, very happy to engage you. But uh, give it some thought. That's really all I ask. Once again, check us out online at countervortex.org. Join the Counter Vortex. Be in touch. And uh, we're going to go out with some more traditional Ukrainian Bondora music from Julian Kitatsky. Talk to you next time.